It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the, the second episode of the third season of USA's Colony. This one is called Puzzle Man. Broussard pretty much gives away what what that's all about later. So let's talk about that when we get there. Okay. I was Ah. so excited to see Helena. Yeah, sort of an unexpected visit because she's on a whole other show. And usually actors aren't on so many shows at the same time. I don't think I even absorbed that. You're right. She's on a whole other show. So that was super unique. I was just excited to get a glimpse of her. Yeah, she's on that Ghost Hunter show or whatever it's called. right. Ghosted? Ghosted, yes, She's on Ghosted. And she's in probably the third name on the marquee for for that one. So she's a main character. So I didn't really expect her to be around much this season, but here she is. She was as good as her word. She did get moved up the chain. They refer to her as governor when these German guys come in. Did you have your eyes peeled in the scene where she joins in the control room with all the other leaders? Well, I was straining my eyes. I was really trying to listen to all of the accents. I was trying to understand all of the little code words they were saying. I'm trying to pick up on anything because she was giving me the clue and I should do that. She was doing the same thing. She was like straining her ears. She's very good at this game. They say, you know, she can tell something major happened. Do you do you believe that the factory is no more? I'm not so sure. I mean, I I understand that they absolutely showed us, you know, the crater mm-hmm. and they said there was no survivors. When I say I'm not so sure, I'm just not so sure that maybe they had an opportunity to move the equipment or move the people. I would like to think that it's not so cut and dry because I know we were discussing this last night on Colony Radio on Wednesday night. So after the show, you guys could join us on SMS TV Talk Radio with Colony. One of our co-hosts, Pete, was mentioning that he remembered from another podcast, we were talking about how it's difficult when in a, the beginning of a season, they try to wipe out the previous season by like just cutting things off, you know, just yeah. like, oh, well, we don't really want to pursue factory anymore. So just we're going to just blow it up. I'd like to think they didn't do that. I'd like to think there's a little bit more of a twist to it. It would certainly be more interesting. I mean, it's a way to wholesale, knock out a big expensive set or potentially expensive set or and several actors like Amanda Rigetti, Adrian Pazdar are up there. Whatever his first wife's name was. Maybe it's true. They, they got a whole other bunch of people on the on the cast this year for being in the resistance and potentially whoever Broussard's going to run into. I don't know that this show's that expensive, so maybe are, they, they can't do everything all at once. Are you okay with, like, Amanda Rigetti being gone? Like, I mean, she was a really... We lose so much of that pull then, you know? Like, there was all that interest in Maddie and everything that was going on with, with her little guy that it seems like if we just lose her as a character completely, the Bowmans are, like, way too untethered. I mean, what makes their situation so much more complicated was having the family member in another part of the city and having to negotiate their choices taking her into a into account so to me it like it kind of just makes it too simple that now they can just walk and like there's just no consequences to anything they do you know what i'm saying yeah but you know katie kind of wasn't there a point when they could have gone together, but instead they went another way and Katie was more or less like, well, you know, my sister made her choice. Oh, in that bathroom, remember? On the big, on the day 
uh, whatever, with the greatest day kind of church day. Remember, they, yeah. they met each other in the bathroom. And yeah, that was essentially the conversation. But but I mean, again, for there to be some tension there, you try to have this idea that, you know, there could be a pull, a need to go back to the block, if you will, you know, or a need to seek out where they went. It just eliminates just so much of the layered stories. It would be great to see them show, you know, a bunker or shelter or something where survivors are and it's it's they have the potential to live. I mean, with a crater being representative of where the factory used to be, that doesn't leave you with a lot of hope given that the people there were treated like slave labor, cattle kind of kind of thing. So uh, I guess this podcaster is going to just go with the idea that the that the factory is gone. Okay. And and I would like to think that they were more thoughtful in, in how they handled that situation. What did you think about all this conversation about San Bernardino? San Bernardino, which is part of what Helena is in charge of. She <laughs> valiantly volunteered her citizens to step up the efforts for, for making more shit. But she made a really curious line there. She said, we always want to help with the war effort. That makes me feel like we are on the same side with the raps, or now we're supposed to call them clicks. And somehow we are fighting another group. And like somehow they were always with us. Like why are, why would we be wanting to help the war effort? The war with who? We've been holding on to this theory for a while that the Raps beat someone to earth that was going to kick our ass much bigger than the than the than the hosts or raps, whatever we call them, were ever going to. The only way they knew to help us was to institute these very harsh measures to save who they could and you know, and in the meantime, they, we also had to help them fight the war. So that is something we've been kind of tossing around since the first season. That kind of statement by Helena kind of supports that idea. Like there was a certain amount of people in the know. They could see the the logic in it, could get, get with the program. Helena's bits are always very tiny. You know, we only get little drips and drabs of her. Do you think we'll see her anymore anytime soon or do you think it's going to be a little more earthbound for a while i think that your concern with her having another show and that kind of thing i think that is going to dictate how much we get a chance to see her so i mean i would love to see her more i think that that is something that you know she always brings value to the show as far as i'm concerned but i don't know if if she's going to be able to story wise you know i'm I have to, I, I don't know to give them credit or to say that they have me a little bit confused, but the way that they are sort of cutting ties, like, oh, we don't really know what's happening over here. So like we just got rid of the factory or now it's like only Helena and she's being, it's being treated a little bit like, well, you don't really know everything that's going on. I'm not sure. I want to spend a lot more time with Helena and everything that's going on in that world. She seems to know so much more than everybody else. Or at least be be going through so much more of actual interest. Like, if you consider how much time we spent with the Bowmans fishing or generally recreating on their bed versus how bad did you want to stay in that war room? You know, it, yeah. it, it, I, I really am so curious and want to have a lot more time there. But we didn't get it this episode. Bowmans had their, their bit. And, you know, they had a lot of story there, but I think this was really Broussard's episode, right? I mean, it's his big reintroduction. We get to see how he's doing. I think he's doing fine. I, he looks like a, would you agree with this? He looks like an introvert who very much is, is like uh, enjoying his time alone. 
<laughs> I think that, well, let's see. I want to answer your question. Do I think he's an introvert who enjoys his time alone? I think that he is very focused. And I think that this job that he's trying to do well requires a great deal of like concentration and is probably like mentally and physically exhausting to be sitting there trying to put together those shredded documents. Mm -hmm. So I think that he might not be, and, and maybe enjoying his solitude might not be quite exactly the right words so much as like he's trying to just be all in in the, in the task that he's trying to do right now. So to review, the task is twofold from what we could tell. You know, he has all the normal personal stuff about finding food and all that kind of crap, but, but he's really doing two things. He is a member of a, of a network that communicates by radio whenever they find survivors they radio to kind of this uh, underground railroad kind of thing to get them out of LA because they're they're not really positive that anything good is going to happen to civilians that hang around LA you know mm -hmm. and then the other thing he's doing is like Caroline just mentioned he is reassembling shredded documents and he's actually made a fair amount of headway for just one guy. You know, it's a, it's a finite amount of stuff that he's looking at. But still, that's a really tough, tedious, horrible job, I'm sure. All right, so we get to get to see a lot of his routine. Going to the green zone, getting some glue sticks from a little girl's room. I think that's a I, great scene. I really thought that was an amazing scene. I loved that. That, that was one of the most humanizing moments for Broussard for me because he was so big and to seat him at that little tiny desk with this really ultra pink room. Like there was something about that um, that just, it really made it seem like this big soldier had just been taken down so many pegs that he had to be, you know, surviving on this level, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that in an ugly way at all. What I mean to say is that he's so accustomed to be fighting with this, this brutal battle, these grueling, gritty kind of places, living down in those like sewer areas and stuff to see him in this frilly setting. It just is like, I, I think for him and for us is like almost disorienting, you know, it does make me want to get a little bit more on Broussard's background because we've only ever gotten little bits, you know, like in the first season, he he alluded to the idea like guys like me and Will, blah, blah, blah. We know that Will has a very superhero kind of resume being both an army ranger and an FBI agent. So he's got some amount of training with physical endurance plus investigative work. But what's what was Broussard's background? I know that it was a lot of... They just Army showed us, and, and yeah. mercenary type stuff. Those right? are the two things that I know. Yes. I mean, and we really know that from like the photographs in, remember in his home when he went to visit his mom and remember his, his soldier yeah. photographs and stuff. And we knew a little bit, little bit of nuggets along the way. But for me, I don't even need that. It's just, I mean, think of his whole time living down in those weird cage areas, remember? And like those sewery kind of spots and stuff. Mm. All throughout these last episodes, these last seasons. Yeah, but where, what, what I'm getting at is that he had the whatever it takes to be able to find the sewer control room. And, you know, I, the best way I can be spending my time is reassembling shredded documents. Like that's not just like normal grunt kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's that's real strategic kind of stuff. Higher level stuff, officer kind of stuff. And I'm very interested I hope they give us some more details on that at some point. All right, so he does find a survivor. 
Do you know her name? Claire. Claire. And boy. Did you get the boy's name? I'm afraid I don't know boy's name off the top of my head, but I'm going to Claire's son. Claire's son. Takes him back to Red Hat HQ. So what did you think? She wanted to be left alone, basically. She wanted to stay where they were at. Well, first, I would like to say that I'm so thankful that Hannah Levine, who plays that character, Claire, was able to talk to us a little bit because she really pointed out some things that were were of interest. So that scene where the little boy is hiding under the desk and Broussard had been going around collecting up supplies in the house and she like snatches him. Like, I thought that that was so very relatable and exactly what I would do if there was a man suddenly in the house. Um, and, you know, the first thing I would do is snatch up the kids as close as I they could to me. And I felt like all of her questions were extremely intelligent. I thought that she was fair in the things that she was worrying about. I thought that, you know, the idea that she thought that the, the green zone was a safe place for them to be. And they thought they could kind of hang there as long as possible and sounded like her husband was unfortunately caught out of pocket when the uh, drone patrol came through. But I just felt like, you know, she seemed like a very relatable, very normal, well-written mom, which we don't often get on this show. <laughs> We're looking at you, Katie Bowman. <laughs> Katie's stupid. No, I'm sorry. It's hashtag stupid Katie, right? <laughs> right? She's not stupid. She sometimes acts stupid. All right. So she recognizes that she can't stay in the green zone forever. Her first choice is to be let out, to, to find a hole to the outside world, not another colony block. Because that's what Broussard is pushing for. Why don't you go to San Fernando? I wish I knew the layout of L.A. and its you know metropolitan area a little better to know if... <laughs> What are the proximities to, of San Fernando, L.A., downtown, where the action takes place versus San Bernardino? I don't know where any of these places are. I don't know either. I'm afraid I'm not helpful. Do you recall Broussard having any reason why he would think going outside would be a bad idea as opposed to going to San Fernando? Wouldn't he just be operating off the same kind of rumors that everybody else is? Just like, oh, it's it's hard out there. No one's ever really backed that up with, you don't know what's out there. I mean, we kind of know that there's those two-legged drone guys, but... I can assume because they had that dispatch situation with the other, you know, supposed route drivers and all that kind of stuff. I assume maybe some amount of information has been disseminated mm. with people who are in other blocks because, I mean, there's some amount of like a safety network that's going through. Mm -hmm. So maybe with dispatch, it's possible that they were given some sort of rundown of what to tell passengers to expect or something when they are going to head out. And so maybe that nugget of information is what is what he's going off of. But also, I mean, you know, they they did have some degree of intel about what was going on in other blocks to some degree. I don't remember exactly all the different ways that they collected that intel. But I do feel like Everyone wasn't like completely in the dark about what was going on elsewhere. We did skip over the part where he he and dispatch uh, talk. Well, how did you feel about that? Let's see. Well, since it was breaking protocol, <laughs> it felt very much like it didn't belong. I mean, it was like if I was him, I'd be, I don't know, I'd one, I guess I could see it both ways. Like I would probably want to talk to somebody but at the same time like this radio chat isn't for that and the fact that you're doing that would worry me you know what i mean okay like you like be suspicious of dispatch yeah okay i, I could go with that completely what did you think of the little chat i felt mostly like i thought well this girl's got to come into play now because we've spent way too long with her 
and her amount of like asking questions of like how you're doing we don't like you to be alone but these types of things you know let me know that there was some amount of knowledge about one another maybe just dispatch had the knowledge of the other people but there it's not like he was like completely isolated with nobody like somehow dispatch seemed to be keeping tabs on him Okay. And probably everybody is my was my feel. Next time he talks to dispatch, Claire's made up her mind that she's she'll go along with the plan. Talk to her into it. But while she's kind of making up her mind, they're, they're, it's kind of like a nap scene, basically. But the boy can't nap, so he comes and helps Broussard with the, the puzzles. The boy can't nap. Funny. Yeah. Sometimes you're just not ready for a nap, you know? No. You just lay there. Other times you're older and fall right to sleep. <laughs> All right, so the the chat with dispatch to arrange for travel, did that set off any, you know, red flags for you? Hmm. The guy who should have should have accepted the job, uh-huh. you know, that driver or whatever, didn't. And and so dispatch basically said, "Okay, we'll figure out some other way to do it." Right? I'll go I'll do it or or something to that effect, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you're right. That that should have been there should have been some feeling of like, has anything been compromised in the process here? The reason we say that is because, you know, we get to the underground part, which was pretty cool. The idea of the uh, drug lord tunnels. If you've paid, if you paid any attention to the El Chapo saga, then you will have seen the, the uh, tunnels that he made use of to escape the authorities several times. Um, and they look just like this. <laughs> They're like completely reinforced, well-made tunnels. Yeah. You're right. Damn, they were well-made. He Those sh- cartel boys, yeah. they, they are quality workmen. Well, you know, they, they probably have their abuelas uh, back home held hostage by the guy who's asking them to oh, make the tunnel. So. Good call on that, yeah. The abuela level will be a great motivator. In some ways, our friend Jay would probably be right that not following his gut when the flashlight signal wasn't properly handled might have gotten Claire and Boy killed, right? Did you? What do you think? Should, should he have been like, nope, this stinks. You got to do it when I do it, or or it's or the deal's off. That was his first instinct, instead of just some lazy flashlight swipe whenever, <laughs> whenever you feel like doing it. Yeah, no, I I think I would have been. I I think that that the, the guy not doing it right away, not returning my my message right away. I feel like in that situation, to me, I don't think you give it a second. I think I think you're already going back up the ladder, up the ladder, up the ladder. Well, you had that instinct. I, I think I would follow that. I'm just saying for myself, even though he did it after like a second or two, that is too suspicious to me. Like I would think like, did someone else, did someone is like holding him and then they realize they should do the flashlight after you did it twice because you did it and then you, you didn't do it and then you did it again. And after that, that's what clicked with the person who's on the not on our actual team realized, oh, I need to flash back. Like to me, no. If the second he didn't flash back right when he was supposed to, that you got to go. You've got a little kid and stuff. Like you go back up the thing and you close the door. I think so too. That's what I would have done because, and I'm I'm not exactly second guessing Broussard exactly so much as I'm saying like I think in a in a chain situation like this, when when anyone in the chain acts remotely not in step with what the plans are. And I just mean like, even if he could have seen that other person's face and that other person just had the anything different about the way their face looked or, or just anything. And all you got to go on is that swipe. I think you just you abort, abort, abort. I'd be out of there. Back at Red Hat HQ, 
aka the place that Broussard currently calls home, a woman comes stumbling in, bleeding, and she says she's dispatch. Are you at all skeptical of this person? Because I know that I am. I do feel odd about her. I don't know her name. This is Dr. Stray Lady. Or I should say, doc- let's call her Dr. Dispatch. How about that? Dr. Dispatch. Dr. Okay. Dispatch. I don't know. I mean, it was very convenient for her to know where Broussard was based on the little boy saying that he was at a police station. Do you know why that's bogus to me? No. That wasn't a police station. Wasn't it a post office? It was a post office, yeah. How did she find him? He, the little boy said he's at a police station is what she repeated back. But we know that they took over a post office. Yeah, yeah. Why would she have ever gone into the post office? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know if that was just, you know, a miss in the writing or something. But a post office and a police station are not the same thing. She definitely said police station. We know it was a post office. But this particular post office had been refit to become essentially a police station, right? I mean, it still said post office on the outside, but the inside there were cop things and guns and, and that kind of stuff. I don't know what he saw, but it didn't, it, no, w- he it wasn't call- like he, ba- mailbags and no, stuff. No, he called it the right name, but externally, dispatch would have seen a post office. And I'm saying that. Yes, you're right. He called he called it the right word for what was internal. But she's outside the building. I'm sure he's showing no signs of life in there. So what made her come bursting in there, expecting to find him? That's one more reason why I'm skeptical Suspicious. of her. Suspicious. And, you know, she has like a very easygoing injury to fix. And, you know, she's basically asking for help to get some to to the resistance, which is exactly what a plant would say, you know? I don't feel good. The discussion that they have when he says that he'd rather stay and complete his work, that's when the whole definition of puzzle women comes to light. Which I totally enjoyed. Yeah, you looked that up. Why don't you tell everybody what that what that is well okay so basically and Broussard actually just goes ahead and tells us he's like it has to do with you know the time when the berlin wall was coming down and there was this group of basically uh cia-esque they're called stasi s-t-a-s-i a group who basically had all this private information on everyone they were they had they basically scooped all the info okay but when the berlin wall was coming down they decided to shred everything but Their shredders were not up to the task and they ended up physically just ripping it with their hands. And so what ended up happening was after the wall came down, a lot of families who had been torn apart due to the wall being built and the the sudden nature of people sort of being jerked away from each other. They came to try to piece together these documents to try to figure out the story of what happened to the rest of their family. Where could they find them? Even what happened? Were they alive? Were they dead? What's going on? So I really I appreciated that that little historical nugget. Whenever we talked to Ryan Condal um, at ATX two years back, yeah, um, we had an opportunity to really like ask him, you know, like, are you are you trying to use historical events and stuff? And he was like very into like using the true historical things and bringing them in. So I appreciated that. I don't for me, he wouldn't have had to say the Berlin Wall and all that stuff if he had just said puzzle men or women or whatever have been used for for decades or something like that. That would have been enough for me to go looking. Um, but they actually gave you enough during the show that you you actually probably didn't need to know all that I just told you. But you could go and research it yourself. What did you think about these puzzle man? I thought it was great. This show, it has some areas where you're just supposed to kind of go along with the whatever they're saying. And other points, they, they really dig in and, and want to ground it in 
reality, you know? So you have a guy who, like Broussard with time on his hands and an appreciation for important history and and he's and he's using it in in the show and in his, you know, what he's what his character is doing. Right. And I think that it's an extremely intelligent way to go about trying to piece together the puzzles literally and figuratively. I mean, he can find out so much about what's going on in other blocks, find out what their next move is, find out maybe where they're, you know, where they have different outposts or something all around the area, anything. He can find out so much information. This is legitimately the best use of his time. The irony, I guess, is that he is really assembled what looks to be like maybe a dozen documents and they close up on him a couple times and you can see things like operation sea spray and some some names like that but he still doesn't know know what is in store for the los angeles block and dispatch claims to have some knowledge in that area and not only about that but about the ultimate fate of the Seattle block. Very interesting stuff. Do you remember anything she said? Well, I remember that the Seattle block had a lot a lot of difficulty when it first started and like sort of had like an uprising, if it, that's the right word. Right, because it, it keeps coming up from Snyder's perspective because he's the one that forwarded the, the Seattle protocol or plan or whatever right, it was right. when he was about to get kicked out of office as like a, you know, a please don't kill me kind of thing. And later on in this episode, he still talks about Seattle in kind of this favorable kind of way that doesn't suggest it's a direct contradiction to what dispatch is saying about Seattle. I sort of feel like I want to delve into Seattle a little bit more when we get into the Bowmans because they, because Seattle comes into play so much when they're on that train Mm -hmm. that I really, I I feel like I, I, let's get into the Bowmans and talk about them. And then I feel like we can naturally sort of think of more about what Seattle might be up to now. Her story is compelling enough to convince Broussard to at least help her get out I don't know if he's committing to anything more than that, but he'll help her get out. And uh, they do show their passage through a checkpoint, which I assume is to the outside world, not not another adjacent colony. And the interesting thing is there is nothing impeding them. They don't need to blow anything up. They don't need to jimmy any doors. They can just walk right through. I think that that's probably the most frightening when you think about it. It does have that, like we know we're not supposed to be here. Why doesn't anybody else keeping track of that kind of, no, kind of thing? No, not that. No? It makes you feel like you're walking through like a cemetery. It makes you feel like it's like an abandoned town. I mean, it, it drives home the idea that there's nothing of value here. No one's even trying to do anything with this area anymore. Mm. That used to be your home. You know, I mean, it's it's sort of like a, I mean, after a bomb or after a flood or after something and you're walking back through this natural disaster and it's like, it's hard to believe there was ever life here. You know, I think there was something that's so much more, I don't know, like desolate and, and like heartbreaking for them. It does remind you of the flood. We just had a flood. We just had a, <laughs> we were a part of Harvey for, for you guys listening. And so we saw neighbors and family, friends and all that kind of stuff just have to heave thousands of dollars worth of what had been valuable like an hour ago, but is now worthless shit out into their front lawn and hope that a garbage truck would come and take it at some point. And that's, I think, what Caroline is, is saying. <laughs> that's how it feels. L.A. has become to the hosts. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just a trash pile. And and I think that it's even, if you were, 
if there were guards there, it'd give you that feel still of like that there's still something to fight for. But when you're like walking through that tunnel and there's absolutely nobody there, you're like, there's nothing left here. I wonder if that you was know? the same checkpoint that the officer that Jay and the guys and the and the gang are so interested in. And, uh, you know, like we've been wanting to know, did he go home to his family and get out of town before the rendition started or or what? Did he stay by his post? Because, I mean, no one's there now currently. Yeah, so that's where the Broussard storyline ends. Big question marks going forward are, can we trust Dispatch? Where are they going? Does she have some more information about how to actually find the Resistance? And, of course, when will they meet up with the Bowmans? All, All right. of those. The Bowmans are our last party that we need to check in on. Don't The Bowmans plus Uncle Alan. And Uncle Alan. <laughs> I love that they're calling him Uncle Alan. I kind of didn't expect to see the Bowmans this week, but... Well, typically we do do that passing off between, you know, we're going to either focus on the resistance or the collaborators. You know, it kind of, we kind of have bounced back and forth. But now I feel like the groups are, first of all, so tight. Like all of the, if you have Alan and Will and Katie and Bram and Gracie, like they're all, they're all in one tight story now whereas before it would be like Gracie over here with Lindsay and Bram over here with his girlfriend and Will at work and Katie with Maddie like you had a lot of stories that they were covering with these people now they're not they're one storyline three of them Will Katie and Bram are at the appointed um, spot to wait for the resistance person Will hates the whole thing he feels like they could be set up for uh just just like being shot very quickly and <laughs> eventually the resistance person shows up what did you think of of katie kind of pulling out her dick there for a second being like well you know i should go because they'll ask resistance questions which of course you don't know Will. when she specifically said that last line that was the kick in the groin <laughs> when she was like which of course you don't know anything about that was like for reals but then you pointed out when they got on the bridge they were literally on the bridge for like two seconds and katie gave him up Right. She like immediately nodded to him. So it was like she was all big and bold, like, I need to handle this. And she was like, Will, <laughs> like instantly, like she yes. made no attempt to deal with it alone. I mean, that come on, let that sink in for a minute. The whole gauntlet handoff. It's interesting that, you know, if you live tweet during the show, the colony social media people are also watching what's being tweeted and and they respond and they keep up with story points and all that kind of stuff. And when that happened, they tweeted out something along the lines of, did the Bowmans just give up the gauntlet too easily? Well, what do you think? Did they? In that particular scene? Yeah. Yeah, it did seem like they didn't have like a strong, like, you know, tell us why we should give it to you kind of kind of moment, you know? I thought they should have asked a hell of a lot more questions. How do I know? How do we know anything about the, this whole deal? I mean, yeah, sure. She knew how to hijack a train. So that's one thing. But that doesn't mean you're a good guy. Right? You're just a train hijacker. I think you're just a train hijacker. Yes. I mean, it was interesting. It's so weird how so many of these survival shows like end up overlapping, like how like The Walking Dead required the railroad tracks. And, you know, I know that they didn't have a train, but it was still like, I don't know. It was interesting to use the same, a lot of the same imagery with this part, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When someone, someone tweeted 
where are they going? And I said, Terminus. Uh, I love that. <laughs> I didn't even know you tweeted that, but that's hysterical. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're, they're, no, we don't know is the answer, and we still hopped aboard. Now, here's a big question. Would you hop on the train? Would you go for a train ride? Hmm. Really good question. Man, I guess if, I guess you'd be swept up in that in for a penny, in for a pound kind of feeling, you know? The penny, and the, and the train's more the pound at this point, trying to throw your kids on a train that's going to start moving in a second. 60 seconds from when she pushed the button. 60 seconds from when the train is slowing down. That's how fast they had to get on the train. First of all, our family would be incapable of making this train. We'd be like, listen, y'all, if you guys don't remember, we have three special needs kids. That also means we have this thing called deafblind time. Okay? Deafblind time means we'll see you when we fucking see you. Because it takes us so long to get our group of going that train would have been like way down the track we'd have been like okay everybody like our backs would have been turned the train would be gone we'd be like are we all ready and we'd like <laughs> like the train's long gone i lean toward not getting on the train actually just like what's the point of getting on the train at enough, this point not enough answers there's not enough um confidence there's no mention of where this train is actually going yeah i mean you could just be feeding us back into the the beast and so i personally would need to know more yeah this because you're the bowmans are operating i think from a more powerful position than are the resistance i think because they have the tech that that everyone's looking for and they've been they've been managing to keep it safe and secret this this whole time you know so i would need assurances you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. Like, what could they have done to assure you, do you think? Because I'm trying to think of like, it's not like, know. what could she do? Give you her car keys, her shoe? Like, Show me a picture what? of the wrap. Okay. Okay. I know that would be very tough, but not impossible. The Bowman's had power. Okay. Cell phones don't need self-service to take pictures. Okay. Just saying. I, you know what? I'm open, P. I am open, open, open. I, I agree with you that a lot more questions should be asked. When you think about the amount of questions that Will had naturally for Uncle Alan after the guy showed up at their cottage there, their cabin, he was like, I, before you come with us on this truck, you've got to answer all these questions. And like he wanted to know stuff. And I mean, the, even the collaboration team, the 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 whatever we're going to call them, I don't know, that SWAT team, like punched Uncle Alan in the nose in order to convince Will that this was truly the situation. So then it's like, well, hold up a, a second now. Now we don't ask any questions of anybody. Now we just go along. What What is this? Why so different? I don't I don't like it. I think the next line or one of the next lines we hear Will Bowman say in the next episode, it's going to sound something like, I think this whole situation sucks. We've made a mistake and we should get out of here and not hang out with these people. I don't think he's going to be a an early adopter of the resistance lifestyle. I think he'd rather go. I agree because he was very happy with them to live that solitude cabin life without now they've essentially moved from like this sort of, I don't know, Heidi-esque, you know, grandpa on the mountainside fishing for your food, no big deal kind of life to now they're living in what appears to be, I mean, that's like barbed wired war barracks. Like this was not better, you know? I mean, I think they probably could have gone through the, the woods there and located another cabin. You know, to mm-hmm. me, I think they could have made it to another place because this seemed like a developed area that had cabins, more than one. So during the train ride, it is my belief that Snyder 
is actually giving them what he feels to be very solid advice, which is, I think we should just leave the gauntlet on the train and jump off and get out of here. I believe that this is Snyder trying to save their lives the best way he can. I think so, too. Do his other job. I wholeheartedly agree. That's exactly what I think he was doing. I think that if he could have convinced them to get off... And I think I don't put that Snyder was trying to get them to leave and leave him behind. I th- no, I didn't get that either. Well, but I'm saying that wrong. He'd be defenseless, <laughs> you know. Well, so do you think that what he should have done is put the gauntlet on the train, push the button, leave it on the train? That's yeah. That's- that would have been the thing. And then all of them, because, hey, it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, the faster it goes away from them, they could be going the other way. And be going quickly in the other direction, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that Uncle Alan had a good plan there. That would have gotten him out of jail. I mean, if you think that maybe he's still doing the, the part with the button because if they ever catch up with them, he'd be in big trouble, right? Well, all he would have to say is that we were trying to board the train with it. I pushed the button. There was some sort of incident and we couldn't get, we couldn't, I couldn't get on the train. We couldn't get on the train. I don't know where the Bowmans are. I couldn't get onto the train, but I managed to get the gauntlet and the button on the train. I mean, he fulfilled his duty. I don't think his duty is that he's supposed to hand deliver it. It's that he's supposed to push the button where it is. I mean, if you take him at face value, last episode, he was like, I can't live like this anymore. But but he he might've also just been super scared. Because there was an alien ship overhead that was getting attacked. So. And I, I think I think also the pressure to have the gauntlet is part of the I can't live like this anymore. You know, I mean, it's it's obviously the cabin, the Bowmans. That's yeah. why I'm a, I'm a little unsure. I think he was trying to convince the Bowmans to go, that they have no longer need to be a part of this trans, transition of the gauntlet. You know, that they can officially separate themselves and go get lost in the woods. You know, I don't know if he meant he would go with them. I know that that was sort of like the original assertion was that he would just take off with. But I think that like what you just said about that, I can't live like this anymore. Him living with them as Uncle Alan is not what he wants his future to be. This discussion uh, devolves into the into one of those like you guys never talked about this kind of thing with the, well, you know, this is a decision that we're making as parents to go and do this. And you wouldn't understand because, you know, parents. The daughter never came up. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that the daughter was something that was discussed between him and Will at some point. Exactly that. I think back when Charlie was missing, there was a moment about his daughter. Yeah. So I'm 150% with you. I feel confident that he had a picture on his desk. I feel confident that he mentioned her to Will. I I believe that as well. Or it was at least heavily insinuated. Like if he would have saved any things to take with him. It would have been the one picture of his kid. Absolutely right. And it, he had a chance to like kind of clear his desk a little bit. He did have a chance. To, so. So yeah. And he was back at the house. I mean, he was several places where I feel like he could have nabbed one. But honestly, I do believe that he did have that conversation because he was trying to convince Will that he would help and he did understand the need to help Charlie. That's the always the most confounding and least believable part about these action-oriented shows is when uh, someone says something and another character who should have freaking known that says, what? <laughs> and it's like, you know, 
I can't yeah. believe that, that in the downtime, the parts that we didn't see televised, right. that you guys weren't talking about some relevant shit. Right. There's no know? TVs. There's nothing to do. Like, it's hard to believe that there wouldn't have been some amount of time. I know that Proxy plays it close to the chest, though, so it's possible that he didn't choose to share it with the Bowman group as a as a whole, you know, at the cabin. But I, I maintain that it, in his office, I can practically think of what it looked like of having Will and him there. And, yeah. and I, I really do believe that his daughter was brought up. Now, it was Katie who acted so like, oh, yeah. not as much Will. So then maybe we're all, maybe all of it is right. Maybe Will absolutely knew that, that Alan had a daughter. Yeah. Never shared that with Katie. And so maybe Katie could be shocked and appalled, you know, legitimately. But again, all that does is reveal that like the Bowmans are still are in no way this fantastical couple that tells everybody everything or tells each other everything, I should say. No, when they get started talking, they start having sex. I know. It's a whirlwind of romance in the Bowman house. That's all that ever happens. It's a small cabin, though. (laughs) <laughs> I can't even I can't even there, even there's the, the sounds of like that'd be enough to be like I'm going outside eventually this train has to come to a stop and when it does a a person uh, that looks a little like a a lightweight version of Negan <laughs> um, Ooh, I thought he looked older and a little bit more paunchy so let's go with it let's go with like an older dorkier paunchier version of Negan and shorter all of the things that you hope for (laughs) and he's apparently in control of this little group that's going to meet Will and the gang now my money is on he recognized Snyder yes mine too that extra look come on which means though he was such a dorky dude that he could have been like an adjunct professor at the same school as Snyder because he had that same look about him. Professorial? Mm, no, adjunct <laughs> faculty. I don't know what you mean. It would be better if he was like the janitor at the college. <laughs> now he was the head of the resistance. Not that now, there's anything wrong with cleaning what up. What possible motivations would he have for not blowing the whistle right then on their bullshit? I think it's like, I just don't see any point in starting any shit. With yeah, this I think right. right, and I and I think I mean, that obviously the, this guy's a hard ass, and his son doesn't look very happy. So, I mean, the focus a lot was of people could die a thousand percent on the gauntlet and getting it back to where he needed to go. Right, because I mean, he obviously when they get back to the camp, he was in a shit storm with his superior. Right. So I don't think I think he wanted to get what he was needing to get and get the hell out of there. So I think that there's no, you know, the, this, this no superior him yeah. who I'm putting my money on Wayne Brady for who the, the superior is Me too. in that cabin. The um, Puba. No, what is it? The Jacob in the cabin. <laughs> Jacob. Right. Jacob in the cabin. Right, right. It's, I think it's going to be Wayne Brady, the him, right? We just speak about him in these abstract ways. So before we get there, there's a little chat between Will and uh, not Negan. And the takeaway is that it's political. What did you think about the fact that when they were walking back to this camp, per se, this barracks area, that they did that electronics check and that they were so aggressive with the Bowmans and like they just ask Alan like the honor system? Well, not only that, but like if you're looking at a group of people 
and you say, I, uh, we're gonna, we need to check you for this. And one person drops to the ground, even faking to tie, he tied a shoe. I saw, we saw him tie a shoe. But I mean, that is, you would instantly go to that person first and be like, get up, show me your hands. You think that would be in the training? Right? I mean, I would just think that, I mean, he kind of just tossed it in that like hollow log kind of thing. I don't know. I think that there's no way if I, if we were in the airport security line and they were like, uh, I want to like frisk you and we'd like drop to the ground. I, I'm sorry, but you're like, you're the first one I want to deal with because you're doing something weird, you know? Yep. But he gets a pass for some reason. I mean, he doesn't even, he just, the, he, he just, just, he no just pat says, down. He no, says he no has nothing. his watch. He hands over his watch and, um. Yeah, but I mean, they were kind of rubbing all over the the armed Bowmans, you know? <laughs> well, they were armed. Yeah, uh, still. Yeah, so things are political. Pat down, toss the, the, the beacon. We get to the camp. I was made immeasurably more uncomfortable when we found out that the guy we were with, who seemed pretty in charge, is actually not even like the number two guy. Well, I don't know where he was in the mix. I mean, it kind of makes sense that he wasn't the number two guy because, again, refer back to my paunchy, nerdier, dorkier Negan. I mean, he doesn't ha- he doesn't look the part at all. So it's it's a little more like questionable that he would be this like action star kind of guy, you know. But I, I he think he could have been in the I don't know. Maybe he's like the nerdy guy who was like, excuse me, sir, I have an idea. And he they were like, get out of here, Nathan. <laughs> I don't know mm. his name, so I'm just making fun of that name. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he seemed like he was trying to become a big guy. Okay. You know, like, accomplish something. Or, uh, I have another take. Let me hear it. This guy started this group, but he couldn't hold on to it. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's my. That's why he feels like he can operate however he wants. Go out. I don't think he feels like he can operate anything he wants. I think he's like a teenager who's just like, whatever, dad. And he's just like left to the, go to the train anyway. I don't think he thinks he's like, I think he thinks he's right, but not in that like, I can operate anyway. Not out of arrogance, more out of like ignorance, you know, just out of like kid-like stupidity, you know? Well, we'll see next week. Yeah, we certainly will. And I hope that he turns out to be a cool guy because... I mean, he seems like somebody who would be accessible to the Bowmans. And I feel like he he represents somebody who has enough information and, and, and he's not too high up in the chain that you could actually get info from him and not raise a lot of eyebrows. Do you know what I mean? Like Will could like sidle up to him at like lunch and get a lot out of him. So far, every every season of Colony, we meet... A lot of new cast members, and then almost all of them get killed. Yeah, I think he's a goner. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think Nathan is not long for this world, but I think that his death will benefit the Bowmans. I'll put that out there. Oh, it's a well, you know, it's a good. He's a good stepping way to die, stone. Then. He he seems like a stepping stone guy. Like he's the kind of person who's going to either provide enough information die on the way out holding the door open for the Bowmans, um, a, a myriad of, of ways that he could provide some amount of a stepping stone for them to the next place. But I don't, you're right. I don't think he's going to make it. Their story ends with some other guy taking the gauntlet in to see the boss. And if I'm Will, I am thinking all of our leverage is just gone now. Yeah. Like, what are we even doing here is when I would be looking at each other like, and what did we just do? Like, why are we here? Yeah, I, I 
I mean, I might want to watch the next one right away. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love it. Just I to love find it. out, because uh, I want to see who the boss is. I, I love those little, you know, TV reveals like that. I just hope they don't string it out for another episode. That would be like, eh, come on, guys. You know. No, but, I think they best show us in the next. There's no way. How are they going to keep him concealed when we're all in this camp? Come on now. It's, it, it's go time. It's like Charlie's Angels. He's just a voice on a speaker. I like Jacob for, right, Jacob. for, for the majority of the time, at least. Right. So, okay, you guys, since we are badly wanting to see the next episode, we're going to wrap this up. Catch us on Mondays and Wednesdays on the SMS On Air TV Talk radio show. It's an internet radio show. You can listen on your computer or you can even just call in. And uh, the number is on the website and you can participate in the show. Uh, on Wednesdays, since Colony's on right now, the show is postponed until after the air time so that uh, a panel of colony fans such as us and talk colony tv uh, podcast and lovers of the show can all chat at the same time this past week we had an inter- interview with the actress that played claire her name is hannah levine so you can go back and listen to that and all the super intelligent questions we asked her other than that uh, catch us mondays and wednesdays try our other podcasts for uh, handmaid's tale and westworld thanks Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.